Hey, it's Jordan. We'll fire up the Chill Factory in about 20 seconds. Do you get the Chill Factory newsletter on LinkedIn? Each issue is inspired by conversations I've had here on the Chill Factory podcast and includes extras to help you, your clients, students, and anyone else you support. So subscribe to the Chill Factory newsletter on LinkedIn and see you there. So often, even though it is annoying AF, and I am well aware of that, we just have to be incredibly persistent at doing the strategic goals that we've set out. And it's only by doing that that we're actually able to obtain the the goals that we want. Welcome, and welcome back to The Chill Factory, where we make work, school, relationships, and life less stressful with expert interviews, rapid relaxers, and excellent resources. I'm Jordan Friedman. There are many, many ways to reduce stress and anxiety, and we've rolled out lots of them here on The Chill Factory. But there are some that can have an outsized impact on the way we feel and progress. As we approach a new year, or depending on when you're listening to this, a new month, or maybe a new week, or even a new day, I want to shine a spotlight on these five stress relief superstars that were embedded in interviews in previous episodes. The first three are about getting where you want to go, also known as goals. Now, I know that stress reduction can be found in not wanting, but goals and desires, big and small, will always be an integral part of our lives. Thus, the focus on them here. The fourth stress relief superstar may be the superstarest of them all because it engages the greatest source of stress for all of us. How's that for a tease? And the final big-time stress buster is especially poignant because it speaks to so much of the conflict we're witnessing and experiencing right now. First up is best-selling author, keynote speaker, and a real influencer when it comes to getting things done, Dory Clark. Her latest book is The Long Game, and it's about the importance of long-term plans and how to stick with them. I know that long-term planning can feel daunting and stressful, and this is why many of us don't do it. But in my two-part conversation with Dory called Play the Long Game, she made long-term planning feel totally doable and even stress-relieving, as you'll hear in this clip. I wonder how strategies that you talk about as part of the long game, as part of long-term planning, how do you think those strategies or just long-term planning itself helps people chill to feel more relaxed? Well, I think it depends which side of the coin you're looking at, right? Because on the other hand, Jordan, I mean, you can imagine it might be exhausting for people to feel like, oh gosh, you know, every two weeks, every month, I've got to try a new thing. I've got to find the new thing. On one hand, it, it might, you could read it as feeling hopeful, like, oh, you know, the new innovation is just around the corner, if only I try this. But in reality, if you actually take, take it in for what it is, rather than the hope of what it is, the idea of, you know, mastering some new process, you know, having to immerse yourself in some completely new thing that you're doing, that really is exhausting. That, that would be a frenetic pace of business. What is less sexy, but actually, I, th- I think at a fundamental level, you could read as much more relaxing and sustainable is just, you know what, come up with a plan. Don't actually change that plan for 
a set amount of time. You know, let's, depending on what type of a plan it is, let's call it every six months or every year, or at least until something um, substantive in the environment changes. I mean, obviously, if there's a dramatic change, like, oh, it's a pandemic, you might have to change your strategy. But in general, just set it aside and don't worry about it. You don't have to keep doing different things, like somebody doggy paddling across a river. It's just a question of kind of keeping at the thing that you're doing at a steady pace and not letting boredom keep you from executing what you need to do. And I think there actually is something quite comforting in the idea that, you know what, if I literally just keep doing the thing that I've said I'm going to do, there's a disproportionate chance that I'm going to get the result that I want. Since goals are the reasons to make plans and the motivators for getting things done, this next clip from my conversation with 30-year wellness and life coach Marilena Minucci on the episode Start Here for More Success This Year offers a different way to think about goals and an essential ingredient for reaching them. Where should people start when they want to uh, change a behavior or reach a goal? Because sometimes it just seems overwhelming and that in and of itself prevents people from from taking the first step. Formulating the goal, can I say, I want to encourage people to think about the outcome. I call this syndrome goal fatigue, especially around the New Year's. We have this same old sorry goal that we create every year and like by February it's disappeared. So sometimes our goals are actually kind of exhausting and they're exhausted. So if you can focus on what would that goal get me, that might get you to the exciting part, if that makes sense. Then with that energy generated, the goal then gets broken down to small steps. What are the small steps that you're going to take and breaking them down? And, you know, creating a plan and working it so that it's it's a non-negotiable part of your life. So whether it's part of your schedule during the week or depending on what the goal is, um, if it's a new habit that you want to create every day or it's a big project like writing a book or taking a trip or whatever it is you want to do, we still have to break it down into manageable chunks. We can handle tiny little steps. Sometimes the big leaps are where we get stuck and we procrastinate, right? Or we get into paralysis and then we never get it done. It always drops down. But little tiny steps you can fit in here and there. Little tiny steps you can take more consistently. So let me give you an example, if you will, of a tiny step that really, really works well. will work well for a client of mine. She wanted to get back to the gym. So her initial tiny step was to just drive by the gym on her way home every day. She did that for a whole week. And it sort of broke down that barrier of why haven't I gotten back to the gym? You know, it took her months. She was stuck. And then the next tiny step was literally to drive into the parking lot, drive around, and then go home. So she did this for another week. And I swear to you, it sounds so ridiculous, and it's totally true. That's how small these tiny steps can be. By then, it had broken down so much that she was able to park, go in. And then when she realized when she walked in was, 
I didn't really like the atmosphere in the gym. It had changed a lot. There were a lot of different types of people working out and it wasn't for her anymore. So it gave her the insight to be able to say, great, I need to find another place, which she did. And just that art of the tiny steps took her right down that path. I love that. It's like rehearsing. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That idea of uh, taking smaller steps toward the bigger goal and breaking things down. I'm so glad you brought that up because in stress reduction, that is one of the biggest uh, and most important first steps. If you know, we think about what what's stressing us out and I say my job, well, that's a stress blob that is so big and so hard to get our arms around that we may very well end up not doing anything about it. But if we ask, okay, let's talk about two or three things that make your job stressful, uh, that often makes it more manageable. It, it makes it uh, feel easier and more likely that we'll start taking steps toward reducing that larger stress of the job. Let's be real. Things don't always go as planned, and this can be really stressful. It's why I did an episode called When Things Don't Go As Planned with certified master coach and life strategist Carolyn Sandoneau. In this clip, Carolyn poses an important question to help us get back on track or onto a new track if need be, and at the end gets to a vital component of life stress reduction. So Carolyn, if you have a coaching client in front of you and they have identified failing at something and they're using that word or they're really down because something didn't go the way they had planned, how do you coach them out of that place that they're in? This is one of the toughest and happiest parts of the job. And I don't mean to be cavalier. I mean, if your things have not gone well and you're depressed, it's very hard to get up in the morning. But I think it's okay to admit to yourself and to other people, gee, that didn't go the way I planned. But man, the comeback's going to be amazing. I do believe very much in the phrase, why not? Why not? Why can't, why? Why not? Why can't you do more media or journalism? Why can't I do more singing? You know, why not? What, what's the mechanism in our brains that shuts down the question before we've even asked it? And I think the value I bring in all my relationships, whether it's personal, with my family, with clients, is I usually ask, why not? What's the why not for you? And once it comes to light, there's a lot of reconsideration of maybe why not? Why can't we do that? So I just think there's, there's a fundamentally we're here to serve people and we should always ask ourselves, no matter what our age or situation, financial situation, why not? Yeah. And this is why coaching is great. This is why talking with important people in your life is great because when we are in the middle of a hurricane, having that perspective and having someone 
suggest different ways we might think about our situation, different ways we can act in our situation that is so fundamental to stress prevention and reduction. So thanks for that reminder. Speaking of vital components of life stress reduction, the Chill Factory episode Mediation Mindset is a must-listen because family and divorce mediator and collaborative lawyer Chris Sorensen demonstrated how to use this transformative practice at an individual level, and I felt my stress melting away as he did so. How would you suggest people use mediation in their lives? How can they make it an automatic stress reducer when dealing with stressful situations? It's a wonderful question and and one that I had not thought of in that way before. I, I think it could be as simple as you pass by or you're meeting with someone with whom you're having a disagreement. And your first thought, your automatic response may be, I'm frustrated with this individual. I'm angry with this individual. I don't see why he or she can't see it the same way I do. And I would say, taking that idea of mediation mindset, if you could just introduce the idea in in your mind at that moment of, that's somebody who has a different perspective on a topic that I do. Viewing that person as a human being who has a different perspective, that alone might trigger a a reduction in stress if you were able to take it even further. And this requires some courage and say, and I'm curious. I want to know more about that person's perspective. I certainly want that person to understand my point of view more, but I'm interested in knowing more. It shifts things from the adversarial, winner-takes-all approach that we are raised with, particularly in in this society to to some extent, and it kind of disarms it and replaces it with an opportunity for growth, for an improved relationship, for learning. And again, no one is asking you in that moment to disavow or change your viewpoint or to agree to something that you're not prepared to agree to. It's just asking you to have a different experience of the person with whom you're in conflict. And I think you could probably answer the question, what does that do to the nervous system and you know other other automatic responses when we feel that we're in danger. Yeah, the brief answer is that it takes one from a state of feeling challenged, uh, of having a demand upon them, and converts it to, as you said, one of inquiry and empathy. Why is that person doing that? Why do they feel this way? And on a very daily, basic level, Chris, the next time somebody does not look behind them, 
when I'm about to follow them through an open door and lets the door close right on me instead of getting stressed about it and feeling, what is wrong with that person? I will take what you've just said. I will try to take what you've just said and turn it into that person probably has so much on their mind that they're not even thinking that anyone might be coming up through the door behind them. I wonder what they're thinking about. Already that feels um, less stressful to me than stewing about and really getting angry that somebody could be so inconsiderate and disrespectful. So, So thank you for that. In this last clip, Rick Weisbord, a senior lecturer at the Harvard Graduate School of Education and Kennedy School of Government, gives, well, existential advice. A lot of Rick's work and research focuses on the moral development of children, but his powerful words can and should apply to all of us, as you'll hear. While I have you, Rick, are there any overarching recommendations, things to be aware of that you would want parents and other listeners to know? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to state this strongly because I believe it. I, I think we're off course in, in this country in our parenting, that we have made su- success, achievement and happiness, the primary goals of child raising. And we have demoted caring for other people, caring for the common good, caring for justice. And that if you're trying to understand all the problems we have in the country now with loneliness, with mental health, with polarization, with hate crimes, with violence, um, these, you know, these are all problems with many roots. But I think one big root is that we haven't prioritized concern for others, concern for the common good. And that's unlike other generations in history. Um, our families haven't focused on it. Our schools haven't. Our universities haven't. Religious participation is down. And whether or not you think religion is good or bad. Religious communities play very important functions in uh, raising moral kids or can. And we need to think about the functions of religion and how to reproduce those in secular life. So my big message for parents is to put front and center caring for other people in your parenting. And I think it will lead to a healthier society, a more moral and healthier society. But I also think your kids will be happier in the end. Because if they can care for other people, tune into other people, have empathy for other people, they're going to have better relationships their whole life. And they're going to be better friends and mentors and parents themselves and romantic partners. And those relationships are the strongest and most durable source of well-being we have. So I think we should tell kids to be caring because it's the right thing to do. (laughs) We should tell kids to be caring to be caring. But I also think in the end, it's going to really improve our kids' well-being. Thanks to all of my guests here in The Chill Factory, and we'll put links to these five episodes in the show notes. It's quitting time for this episode of The Chill Factory. I'm Jordan Friedman, and thank you for listening. Be sure to follow The Chill Factory wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know when new episodes are available. And there's always more at thechillfactory.net. And as Eleanor Roosevelt said, if life were predictable, it would cease to be life and be without flavor.